Okay, so welcome. I'm Mary Wood for the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education. And I'm so pleased to be here with you this evening in the War Memorial Opera House in San Francisco. And to welcome you to this evening's Meet the Artist interview. This is Friday, May 2nd, 2014. Somehow it's amazing that this season has just flown by in some ways. Anyway, the San Francisco Center for Ballet, uh, San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education produces these programs. The center is directed by uh, Charles Chip McNeil, and adult education programming is coordinated by Cecilia Beam. The Center for Dance Education produces pre-performance talks, produces a lecture series, the Ballet 101, which uh, takes place right before the season starts in January, and it always is a sellout, so be sure you check that out early. Um, and then for children, we have the community matinees and the renowned dance in schools and communities. All of this information is available on our website, sfballet.org. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, these programs, many of them, are recorded, and the podcasts of, those, of these interviews are posted on the website, so be sure you go to check out what's there, catch something you might have missed, review a program that you enjoyed, and... Uh, review what you might have, what might have passed you by in the moment. So welcome as well to those who may be listening at a future time. So getting down to it, it's always an absolute delight to be in conversation with Ricardo Bustamante. Thank you, Ricardo. Welcome. Good evening. I was musing about the fact that San Francisco Valley is um, renowned and in its publicity makes a point of being a company of firsts. And we are the first professional ballet company in the United States. And the first company to produce a full-length Coppelia, a full-length Swan Lake, and certainly the first American company to produce the Nutcracker. There are other firsts. Um, I also think we should be noted for being a company that, that can celebrate longevity. And not only are we the oldest company, but we can boast directors who have had incredibly long and stable careers here in San Francisco. For instance, uh, Lou Christensen directed this company for 33 years. He directly preceded Helgi, who has directed the company. Coming up next season will be his 30th season. That's how many generations held in the hands of very faithful stewards. We have staff who have tended the company for decades. And we don't want to rub that in particularly. <laughs> but as you all know, for instance, um, Betsy Erickson has been with the company more or less. Joining 1962. And yeah, in the 60s. Um, Val Canaparoli associated since the uh, 1970, I think. Um, Anita Pachotti. And yourself, Ricardo, you began here, um, I believe, in the Christensen era. Right, 1980. Yeah. 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 I, was hired, I was hired when uh, Mr. Christensen was still here. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I guess that makes me one of the generations of uh, yeah. Lou Christensen. 
and who, and who tend the continuity here. And we've known you as dancer and teacher and choreographer and ballet master and as assistant to the director. Um, so in all of those roles, <laughs> what we want to do is maybe review this season, which has had some amazing highlights, both here in the Opera House and out in the world, and then maybe re look ahead to what's coming up for the company the minute the curtain comes down next weekend. Um, and then, of course, this evening's performance, which has three wonderfully entertaining and amazing pieces. Um, highlights of the season, this past season, there's been world premieres, we did great classics, we've had sold out houses. Um, what was a highlight for you? Um, one of the highlights is this program <laughs> for me. Okay, uh, let's get right the, to it. The whole season has been uh, quite challenging for the company and quite um, an opportunity for, for a well-established artist as well as the new artist. And more than ever, it feels as if the upcoming dancers who have been produced by our own school are getting to have many opportunities to grow and to develop in, inside of our own repertoire. Um, I adore this program. I love, I love Helga's fifth season uh, with his Carl Jenkins music and his neoclassical style of dance and um, so much panache and so much joy in dance. And I love uh, Sweet and Long, which is a fantastic piece that it showcases the company better than, than any other piece, and which it's also so important for the company to dance. Um, a technical work and a highly stylish work like this one, giving an opportunity to basically every single member in the company. The Paris Opera normally does this ballet with its 100 and something 50 dancers. We are 73 dancers and, you know, when the curtain goes up, um, there's a cast of 38 dancers in there. And everybody gets to do variation after variation, so it's very demanding. They, if I can just interject, those are some of the most difficult, technically difficult variations I think I've ever seen. And we talk about how the pedipop ballets have, make such demands on our dancers. But I was watching the other night and I thought, a pedipop variation is usually three minutes long, and I swear these are twice that long. And they just have to do such difficult stuff with such control, and they do it. Well, um, this has been Serge Lifar, uh, who used to be a director of the Paris Opera for a while, ballet master with the, with the company as well. And um, it was a ballet that was created for the Paris Opera to display their virtuosity and the grandeur of their startling dancers um, in every other style. Um, you know, music, the music is it's, it's quite old, actually. I think it was from the 1880s, Lalo's music. Um, but it sounds so, so, so today and, and so danceable. Um, the Leafar style is terrific. It's a very simple um, style of dance. We use everything we know about classical dance, but Leafar's um, particular style is that he makes all the lines very flat. The use of the shoulders have to be to the side, and the nose goes right to the hand, and everything is very grand and very stylized in a very simple manner. 
but it, is, it showcases um, every single technical virtuosity uh, from a beautiful adagio to a very, very high jumping kind of pas de sang to a highly stylized cigarette variation. And you can also see the different temperaments on all the different dancers. It's one of my favorites. I'm so glad we did it a second season. We premiered it last year. Um, the other ballet on this particular program is a world premiere. It has, I'm happy to say, been very well received. Um, the choreographer, Liam Scarlett, is new to San Francisco, new to the West Coast, um, has done something, I think, in the East for, the, for a ballet company. But, Miami, Miami City right, Ballet. Right. But um, he's very young. He's come out of Great Britain, uh, following in the footsteps of Wayne McGregor and Christopher Wilden and so on and so forth. Um, besides maybe saying a word or two about the piece and how it's really come to fruition, a little bit about the commitment to continually producing new works, which is one of the great things about San Francisco Ballet, always has been. Well, I think that Helgi does something really interesting with the company is just to provide you with lots of contrast on, on what you see. And, and that's really enjoyable because you can, con we, you can judge and appreciate by contrast um, in styles and in, and in time, um, exposing you for something like, like uh, the, the leaf piece, the sweet and long, you know, against um, some, something like, you know, Liam Scarlett's new choreography. Uh, which, which employs very rigorous classical technique, um, but he uh, he's very very committed to it. And I've I've only saw it. I saw it in the opening night in the second performance, and I was um, really amazed of the freshness and the, and the sheer beauty of his expression through the body. Um, the way he moves the core of the ballet, uh, there's about six couples, I understand, in the piece, and everybody gets to really, really dance. It used to be um, that the core of the ballet were a little bit more of decorative sidelines, if you like, but um, Liam proposed uh, the ensemble to be very much alive, and I very much appreciated that because um, the piece has a, a great pulse to it. It looks really exciting to watch, and, and I also appreciate what he's done with the principles. Um, he kind of breeds a very different life into his ballet. Uh, his music is by Philip Glass, and it's a um, fascinating piece. And I think, I know you'll enjoy it. I certainly did the other night. Um, before we leave this past season and look ahead to next season, um, the company had a very exciting trip last fall when they really took over New York City for two weeks. Uh, talk a little bit about the importance of that residency. Well, um, we, we, will, we like to challenge ourselves to be, you know, the first company in the United States. <laughs> um, there's a very high standard of dance that we have to keep up to do that. Uh, Luckily, we have a lot of new works that can, without comparison, put, put, uh, put us in the spotlight of what to see nowadays in dance. And pieces like Leanne Scarlett, 
um, tonight. You know, it's what really makes makes us desirable to go to New York to the Cush Theater and have three different programs in a full length Cinderella. Uh, we ran for two weeks. It was very very challenging, changing. Um, every single night changing programs and changing also the principles and having a condensed season, what you normally see here in say two months, we did it there in, in those two weeks. Following the season uh, here in San Francisco, which will end on, on May 11th, uh, we go into a small break, very much needed, and we come back for four weeks and we have a, a tour to Paris. Uh, which we're very, very, very excited about. Um, and within, we're there from July 10th to the 27th. And that's a long That's a long residency, stay. Yeah. And we are bringing quite a few productions. You know, there's quite a few programs. And it's really interesting because, you know, for, for most of you who see this from January to May, you're going to be seeing on that short time, you know, changing program every single night, you know, a condensed version of it. New York was a good practice. Now we're going to Paris with twice as much of ambition with, you know, what you, they'll get to see. So we have a pretty, pretty hectic year. Um, the San Francisco Valley inaugurated this festival in Paris a number of years ago. Ten years ago. It wasn't that long. And I recall that it was freezing cold, and that was a problem ten years ago. Is it still an outdoor venue? Um, no. We're going to, yeah. When, when, the, um, when we first went there, we went to the, um, to the public library, and there was a stage that was set up for us. So it was rather cold at night, and then, but during the day it was really, really hot. So much that the stage floor, being an outside venue, the sun would hit the stage, and it made it hard to turn or jump or be on the stage. So <laughs> um, it was quite, quite a challenge. Um, nonetheless, it was, it was a, a beautiful place to perform, and um, the festival actually experienced great success throughout the last 10 years, and it's a great honor for us to be asked back to celebrate this 10-year anniversary and, and for it, you know, we're, we're bringing out all the jewels, you know, we're bringing the best of our repertoire and, and really dancing ourselves to death. <laughs> and then there's a break and then we get ready for next season. Um, next season is going to have a, a kind of an overlay of nostalgia, I think, because we are celebrating Helgi's Helgi Thomason's 30th season here with um, the great full-length pieces, three of them, um, and then bringing back some of the favorites that have been cornerstones of the ballet rep for the 80-plus years of the company. I'm thinking opening night is Serenade, which is everybody's favorite Balanchine piece. It's been done by San Francisco Ballet since the early 50s. Um, Yuri Posikov's Raku, which was wildly successful and has been successful all over the world. And then on the 20th anniversary of Val Canaparoli's Lambarena, we get to see that again. And the season just goes up from there. Can you look forward to um, something special next season? Well, we were talking about longevity and I, I like to 
pay tribute to two retiring dancers that are um, leaving us this, this season, Damien Smith and Ruben Martin, who have been with us for, you know, Ruben's been here for 13 years, and Damien, I think, for 18, for 18 years. Uh, it's a very long, wonderful career. Um, I like to say thank you for all the energy and the beauty. And along the, with the seasons and the tradition and all of our hard work and our, and our desire to um, keep up the high standards of dance, you know, everybody pours their heart and their, and their hard work day in, day out. You know, sometimes we don't leave the theater, you know, we're cooked up inside, you know, processing and, and preparing and elevating the works in order for the curtain to go up and for you to see uh, the company at its best. Um, you should be a very demanding audience. We, we realize, you know, that you have seen a, a great dancing throughout the years and every, every day and every year that goes by with all of our amazing artists, um, we are also keeping the high standard through the tradition and the torch that it gets passed on throughout the magnificent work of all of our artists. So just to reiterate, we will, among the other artists who come and who go, we will watch Damien Smith move on, and we'll watch Ruben Martin Sintas move on. And um, I wonder if you all have tickets for the farewell performance a week from Sunday evening. Um, special, it's going to be beautiful. Special tribute. There will be some video, I understand. And then each of them, of course, will be featured. And what a way to go out, just wear them out in one final performance. <laughs> no, it is, it is so important. I mean, you know, um, there's, no, there's no way to repay um, somewhat. I mean, going to work is one thing and having a job is another. But, you know, for, for, some, for, for people, for dancers, for artists um, to kind of reinvent themselves every single day and then to outdo themselves every single day. It's, 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 quite, it's quite an amazing thing. So, you know, the support you show and the development that we've, that we've experienced and the years of experience that we have to offer, you know, are, are just, it's fascinating to, to me and I'm grateful too, I mean, I've been here for so many years, um, to have the culture of dance the theater, like we have, um, in a company uh, with its supporters that, that can actually offer such amazing work for us to stay up on top of the game and be, you know, proudly be calling ourselves, you know, one of the first American dance companies or the best one, I guess. <laughs> Why not? Not bragging. Um, <laughs> we have. Um some time for audience questions, and clearly this has been a wide-ranging discussion, so any question you'd like. Um, all right, right here. Thank you. I have a question left over from the other night when you had the designer and the lighting person up there in front. I have always wondered when there is a ballet like Swan Lake, where you have the soloist on the stage and the spotlight is following. How does the spotlight operator know where the person is going to go? This is a great question. Um, the other night, we were in conversation with John McFarlane and David Finn, the uh, scenic and costume designer and lighting designer for Hummingbird. Um, fascinating conversation we had about lighting, among other things. 
how does the how does the spotlight operator know where to go? Well, um, I could give you a sort of a, an answer. The stage manager calls the, the, the entrance and exits of all dancers. And um, the lighting designer, of course, designs the lighting so that, you know, when the principal dancer, whoever the featured dancer comes in, that they could be in the spotlight. It's all properly rehearsed. It goes within the score in each cue, and every time somebody makes an entrance or through a variation, whatever the intensity of the light or the levels or, or spotlight or not spotlight, it's all with, written and follow up in the score by the stage manager, and it's all rehearsed and properly built, such as the choreography, in the same way you have anything that has to do with production. It's, it's their design to do that. And the guys who are there on the bridge, it used to be that that spotlight used to come from out front. I don't know if, if you remember, and you see this great big light coming. And it's still used sometimes, but nowadays most, um, it's, it's, it's up there on a bridge, right behind the proscenium. And uh, it's less intrusive to the dancer because you don't have this spotlight, like this one right now, when you have to turn and when you have to, you know, you're trying to look front. So. Um, that's also an improvement. And it also, it also helps when you're above and you see the pattern. So it's a lot easier to follow up when you have the floor as a backup to project. Rehearsal, rehearsal, rehearsal. <laughs> Somebody over here, and then we'll get over here. Yeah. That's a great question. When the company goes to Paris with umpty ump pieces of um, choreography, how much goes with the company? And she's suggesting that it's a huge undertaking, you think? <laughs> that's, a, that's a smart question. Um, yes. When you are invited to go dance someplace, the first thing you look is at the house. And within the house, you can propose a repertoire that could be properly fitted or that would be an impossible. You, of course, do want to be a failure at trying to be too greedy on trying to show off and then suddenly you can't put it on. And so um, take, for instance, in New York, bringing Cinderella was a big, big commitment because the Koch Theater doesn't really actually have this much backstage room to, to um, move around scenery. And although it's technologically advanced, it's not as comfortable as our beautiful home here, this opera house. So going into going to Paris, we're, we are, we're going to a, a wonderful theater where it's technologically advanced, where everything that we are doing is um, it's adequate for us to be able to make so many changes as the, as the ballets will change every single night. And everything is rehearsed, everything is performed, everything, we're bringing all of our experience. You know, some, some of the ballets will have been uh, seen here, seen in New York, and we're trying to go out there, um, you know, as well prepared as we, ca as we can be. You know, this being the lighting, the, the orchestra, uh, our music director, our dancers, our cast changes, our costumes, our makeup, um, everybody. We are going to, to the limelight and we need to be very, very prepared, minute by minute, hour by hour, name by name. 
And it's the only way to do it. It's very at attention intensive and our high level of professionals from you know the person who schedules um, everybody's day, uh, Alan Villarreal, you know, he has to give us absolute clarity as when everybody takes a studio, goes to the stage, or having rehearsed the variation that is supposed to be performed tonight. And so it would all be carefully, it is carefully planned, and it all depends on what theater you go to. Interesting, yeah. I know that the wardrobe department, for instance, has probably already packed the pieces that are not going to be performed this week. And they will probably, when the curtain comes down next Sunday, things will be, the last things will be washed and packed. And likewise with sets and everything has to get shipped. And all of that is laid out months in advance. It's, it's an amazing, it's like moving a village. Well, also when you when you uh, when you think, okay, I'm taking how many ballets? Maybe 21 ballets. Uh, each one of those productions have a different floor, have a different lighting. It's a whole concept. Uh, a whole. That's one of the beautiful things about tonight. I mean, do take the time to appreciate the lighting, to take the time to appreciate the textures and the floor and the inventiveness of production um, for the dancers to um, be put in a different atmosphere and in a sense of time. And um, all of that look, all of that concept, it needs to be brought as, as, as cleanly produced so for it to have its original beauty and so that the dancers can really bring it to life. So you heard a, a, quite a lot of stomping just now. They were just laying a white linoleum floor for the fifth season. We would then change to black floor for uh, Sweet and Blonde. Okay, this question, yes. Describe your day as a ballet master, and are there more dancers out this season than usual? It seems like there's a lot of missing faces. She's asking, describe your day as a ballet master, and then you can take the rest of it if you can. Uh, today, um, so uh, get up 7.15, you know, make tea. I like tea first. <laughs> I've, um, or, or I have two glasses of water. I do my stretches to, to get my body in order. I have proper breakfast as much as I can eat. I read a little, uh, um, ballet news and, and what's going on also in the world. I come in, I talk class here on stage for the company, that's an hour and 15 minutes. Um, I go into the office, try to check into cast changes because, you know, um, there is a rotating system on all the roles that get performed day to day. Um, you know, perhaps have a, a talk with Helgi about his ideas and things that pop up. You know, there's Paris and the end of the season. People are exhausted and so um, to try to stay with the game, if you like. Um, go to, across the street, uh, check on the office there, what's happening, and um, talk to Alan about future schedules. Um, go around with the company, hearing how everybody is. Then we have a rehearsal of, of Third Movement Brahms, full, with a change of cast. Um, then we had a uh, um, full rehearsal, full company, uh, four to five, with uh, Sweet and Long. Um, do all the different changes on different variations. I went up, had a sandwich, 
took a shower, didn't get to brush my teeth, but here I am. <laughs> and tonight, show, and I'll be either backstage or out in the house until we are done. That's a day. And it's six, six days a week for during the season, isn't it? Six days a week, or do you get two? You don't get two days off. Oh, a six, yeah. yeah. All, we only rest on Mondays mm-hmm. when we're performing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have time for one more question. All right, your question back. The question was the succession of directors. Um, Michael Smuin and Lou Christensen were co-directors. And the transition had occurred before Lou Christensen's death, which was in October of um, 84. And the transition went directly from Lou to Helgi. So um, Michael was definitely there um, up until about 83. So. 12 years, yeah. I was brought uh, to San Francisco by, by uh, Michael Smeon. Uh, he spotted me in Colombia and offered me to go into the school and I was there for five months and then I've, I was with the company for five and a half years under his uh, watchful eyes and gave me a lot of opportunities and had a terrific um, career here before I went to American Ballet Theater. I wish we had more time. This is always delightful to hear you, Ricardo. You will, of course, enjoy this evening's performance, which we've described. Um, I've been speaking with Ricardo Bustamante, who is ballet master and assistant to artistic director Helgi Thomason. Please go to the website, check out what's going on. Don't forget to get your tickets for the farewell performance on Sunday the 11th. And with that, Enjoy the performance tonight. Enjoy. Thank you for your support. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.